Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is I Will Fight You, a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone-cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, your haunted dolls have to look like actual dolls. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> oh, fucks. We watched Annabelle for this one. Quick rundown of some content warnings here. Treat this as a little amuse-bouche for what we're about to get into. <laughs> Our content warnings and oh my god. Okay, Lucas, can you like can you can you can you give me like the dating game music while I run through these? <laughs> I don't know. If you think that's a little too glib, go ahead and cut it, but I think it would be funny. It would be funny. <laughs> okay, our content warnings include parental death, home invasion, endangered pregnancy, themes of infant endangerment, fake out infant death. Asterisk, no babies die in this movie, I promise. Magical Negro trope, mention of suicide attempt and self-harm, and we chop up all with a cherry of an actual suicide at the end. So, you know, watch out for that. I'm pretty sure you can connect a couple of dots with some of these things I've listed and figure out how this is gonna go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sometimes the content warning list is an enticement. In this case... Okay, so Annabelle's movie that Mac and I have watched a month because we like shitty horror movies. We love shitty horror movies and we love shitty horror doll movies. Yeah, haunted doll movies are fucking hilarious. Annabelle is one that like, it is followed by a sequel that is much better and then a threequel which is much worse. (laughs) (laughs) And they're probably still making Annabelle movies. I don't know. This is part of the Conjuring universe, so they're really keeping their options open there. That seems to be a theme with horror movies, where it's like a somewhat shitty first one, a really good second one, and then a really bad third one. Yeah. The only one I can think of that didn't suit that would be Insidious. Oh, ha, ha. Where it was fine first one, terrible second one, and then the third and fourth one where it got good. That's true. That is absolutely true. And they're coming out with that other one as of the time of the recording, like in a month. And I am so excited. Mackenzie, we have to go see it. I'm so excited for it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there are, by the way, way too many Annabelles. And I, by the time I figured out, I had no idea which one I was supposed to watch. It was 5 a.m. Annie's time and I could not message her to ask. So, <laughs> Yeah, because it's called like Annabelle, Annabelle Origins and Annabelle Comes Home, I believe. Yep. Yep. There's too many. <laughs> I always confuse the subtitle of the second Annabelle movie with Ouija Origin of Evil. <laughs> oh, there's Annabelle Creation. Annabelle Creation, thank you. So instead I watched the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode about Annabelle instead. Which was legit because you can never go wrong with Shane Day telling a demon that he's going to fuck the demon and he owns whatever the demon owns now. Yeah, this one he was threatening to imprison her inside his ribcage. It's very good. Excellent. <laughs> okay, so some background here. Here's what happens. In 1971, Ed and Lorraine Warren put a doll in a box and say it's dangerous. They say they got it from a nursing school student who claimed the doll was haunted. They say the student took the doll to a medium who told them that the doll was possessed by the spirit of a girl named Annabelle. The doll then terrorized the nursing student until the Warrens removed the doll, locked it in a box, and put it in a museum for everyone to gawk at and had a priest (laughs) bless it twice a week. Years later, in 2013, James Wen directs The Conjuring, a movie about the Warrens dealing with a possession. And what better way to open than by adapting the story of Annabelle the Haunted Doll? 
Annabelle sells the movie so well that they make three movies about her and feature her in pretty much every Conjuring Universe movie, even The Curse of La Llorona for some reason. And she even <laughs> makes a cameo in both Aquaman and both Shazam movies. Here's what actually happens. In 1963, The Twilight Zone features an episode called Living Doll, wherein a family is menaced by an unsettling doll named Talkie Tina. My name's Talkie Tina, and you better be nice to me. My name's Talkie Tina, and I'm going to kill you. Yep, here's your problem. Someone set this thing to evil. The mother of this small family is named... Annabelle. In 1971, noted hucksters and asshole charlatans Ed and Lorraine Warren do not at me. We are not going down this road. Ed and Lorraine Warren were hucksters. <laughs> and they're huge assholes. Don't at me either. Awful people made up a story for their museum about a haunted doll that definitely had nothing at all to do with this rerun of the Twilight Zone episode they heard about. It's a unique story, an original one, and this doll is also super evil-possessed. Look at this scary oh, doll. Oh, see, evil doll do not steal. We locked her in a box where she can't get anyone. Also, she's a raggedy Ann. <laughs> For those of you who are younger millennials and for pretty much all of Gen Z, because this brand is pretty much worn out at this point, listen, Raggedy Ann is a rag doll that has been around since 1915. She has this big circular cloth face, the triangle nose, red yarn hair. She's one of the least creepy dolls you've ever seen. And yes, I definitely had one growing up. Yeah, because Ann and Annie and Annie. <laughs> well, yeah, naturally, yeah. Yeah. Flash forward to 2014 when they push out a prequel to The Conjuring, taking the idea of a dead girl named Annabelle and spinning out an entire story about that incidental detail into a whole ass movie that is not very good. <laughs> and that's Annabelle. Man, I should start putting dolls in boxes. So say we all. You put a doll in a box, say do not touch, and then have a priest bless the doll twice a week. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, there's clearly money in it. Oh, totally. That's the thing. The Warrens made so much fucking money off of this, like, satanic panic shit. And this is all to say that, like, listen, the Conjuring movies are pretty fun. I enjoy them a lot, especially The Nun, where they go to the one Catholic convent in Romania and have a whole problem where they're like, oh my god, we need the blood of Christ in order to stop this demon. Where are we going to get some blood of Christ? Us Catholics who believe in transubstantiation and make the blood of Christ <laughs> once a week. <laughs> Garbage movies. Love them. So I have some credits for us. This movie is directed by John Arlianetti, who is like a cinema nepo baby. Listen to this quote from his Wikipedia page. Oh, God. Leonetti began his career as a teenager working for his family's motion picture equipment business that was started by his father, Frank Leonetti, known for his gaffing work on films such as The Wizard of Oz and Singing in the Rain. Oh, my <laughs> fucking God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know nepo baby is one of those phrases that we're very close to having to put on the shelf again, but like... This is legit. Definition of. Yeah. He is a cinematographer traditionally. He did the cinematography for such films as The Mask, The Scorpion King, Piranha 3D, and Insidious oh The Conjuring and Insidious Chapter 2. Excellent. 
Annabelle is his third directing credit. His second was 2006's The Butterfly Effect 2. And his first was, get this, 1997's Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Oh, my God. Really not doing much with that whole (laughs) Nepo baby origin, is he? I gotta say, at some point, talent does not seem to transfer. (laughs) This is written by Gary Doberman, who would go on to write Annabelle Creation and Annabelle Comes Home and The Nun and It and It Chapter 2 and the 2019 Swamp Thing show that was canceled right after its first episode aired. Hey, wait a minute. I liked that one. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? It was also co-produced by Peter Safran, who just spends his life producing weird high-budget genre movies. He's currently running DC Studios with James Gunn and James Wen, who among many, many, many other things, including Aquaman, made the Conjuring series and the Insidious series. There's a lot of people pumping money into this one, y'all. The thing that cracked me up about Swamp Thing getting canceled right away is that you watch the first episode and you're like, oh, I see. Warner Brothers realized far too late they could not sell t-shirts of this. (laughs) (laughs) But it's actually quite good, even though they had to cut it off quite quickly at the end. I heard people really enjoyed it. So this movie opens with a paragraph that is never attributed, never comes up again, and it's pretty much there just to, like, not make you think about it for more than two seconds. And it's just like, red text on a black screen or something and it's like since the beginning of civilization dolls have been beloved by children cherished by collectors (laughs) and used in religious rites as conduits for good and evil (laughs) one more again at least it didn't start with historians agree (laughs) it's like you want you want to okay one of those things is not like the other you want to try that third thing again because i'm pretty (laughs) sure dolls aren't the same things as fetishes and totems what? Religious rights for as conduits for good? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, you don't take your religious rights doll and hand it off to your kid afterwards to play with. Those are two separate types of object. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sorry. When your demon cult is, like, gonna try to put a demon in something, you don't pick your daughter's Malibu Stacy. I'm sorry. Although that would rule. <laughs> that would, in fact, rule, actually. That haunted doll movie would rip. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. So we start out, we feature some footage recapping the opening sequence from The Conjuring. It featured Annabelle to remind you about this stupidly haunted looking doll. Like, I need to remind you throughout this movie that the doll in question is a Raggedy Ann doll because the Annabelle doll that they use for this movie is the most obviously haunted doll I've ever seen. (laughs) Yes. I was like, okay, because I remembered that it was based on Raggedy Ann, and I was like, maybe they based this doll on some sort of porcelain doll from history or something. No, no. They just were like, well, Raggedy Ann isn't scary, so we wanted to make a scary doll. We're going to make the most haunted looking doll. Like, kid, have you seen this doll? I've seen the poster, and it is, this, firstly, that's an absurdly detailed sculpt on a face for a doll that's intended for a child. It is. And also, this is just Chucky. This is just Chucky. It's got some Chucky vibes. This is Chucky in drag is what this is. They're like, oh, oh, man, this this is possessed by Annabelle Higgins, who lost her parents and took a liking to the doll. And they do a zoom in on the most just the most haunted ass doll you've ever seen. She's got like sallow cheekbones, these big cracked eyes, weird lines about her face, a rictus grin, just like clearly an evil doll. Yeah. She's like, oh, my mom got it for me for my birthday. Why would your mother get you this? <laughs> This doll is like three feet tall. It has always been this awful looking. 
the only reason I can think of a mother buying this for someone is like when my mom bought me the shower mat that turns bloody when you step on it when you're wet. And it's because she's like, my daughter's into this weird shit. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to make a crack about fishing this out of Anne Rice's doll collection, but this is so much worse than anything in Anne Rice's doll collection. Holy shit. It is just like every time you see this doll and everyone's treating it like it's normal throughout this movie, you're like, you just start disassociating because it doesn't (laughs) seem like logical at all, which I mean, obviously it's a horror movie. Logic, you throw that out the window, but like, this is so obviously haunted. (laughs) Nobody is going to look twice at this doll and say, it seems normal to me. (laughs) I'll get this for a child. I'll get this for a child. This will give my child no disorders. (laughs) Like, the best part is that everything they establish in this movie, they're going to throw out the window, basically, and reestablish it again in the next Annabelle movie, which is a prequel to this prequel. And they're going to be like, okay, now let's try to make it actually haunted or something. And like, they're going to say that somebody made this doll for a child. And it's like, "Mm -mm, nope, -uh, never happened. This is made at a Spencer's gift for an adult who liked haunted creepy things. It is manufactured from start to finish to be scary. And again, it's like, this is a Raggedy Ann. This is supposed to be a Raggedy Ann. <laughs> also, like, every, if you look at photos of the Raggedy Ann in the case, <laughs> it's just silly. It's just silly that anyone could be scared of this thing. Even Robert the Haunted Doll is creepier than this thing. That's because he's got that big potato face. There is like a tarot card of the devil nailed to it, and that only makes it sillier. Okay, so we cut to black. We hear the faint chimes of a mobile, like a little musical mobile that you put above a child's bed. And don't worry, we're going to have some pointless jump scares about that one later. Oh yeah, a lot of times. Don't worry about it. And then they're like, one year before the events of the beginning of The Conjuring. (laughs) (laughs) That's too many befores. (laughs) (laughs) Let's cut to Santa Monica, California, where the whitest couple you know is going to mass. (laughs) We've got John and Mia are our main characters. Mia is super duper pregnant. They are, again, the whitest folks you know. They're going to mass, which is led by one Father Perez, who is probably like the second best actor in this movie in terms of like the performance. He is played by Tony Amendola, who, by the way, also played Don Luis in The Mask of Zorro. He's everywhere. (laughs) He's everywhere. We love him. He's just one of those character actors who you can just reliably get onto your movie to do like a really good job. Oh, yeah. And like the role that they gave him here is basically as the father who keeps saying ominous things at his sermon that are going to loop back around to being thematically (laughs) relevant in the movie. Because, like, this whole one is about, like, sacrifice is great. Everyone should sacrifice themselves for something they love. This will not come up anywhere else in the movie, I promise. (laughs) Don't worry about it. I'm just saying. We meet John and Mia's next door neighbors who are Pete and Sharon Higgins. We learn that Sharon and Pete's daughter ran away from home. And joined the hippies. To join the hippies or something? They pretty much, they exist for like half a scene and mostly just to set up some things for Pete and Mia, including one of them turning to Pete and Mia and being like, just remember, children are a blessing. (laughs) (laughs) 
Mia and John then go inside and Mia sews while watching some stuff about the Manson family murders. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Manson family cult are on television. It's like, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? We're in California and guess what year it is? Right? And that also reminds me, like, before we start them seeing, like, looking at the Manson family cult on television, there's like a thing where she's like... John, you didn't lock the door? And he's like, no, why would I? She's like, you have to start locking it, John. It's a different world now. And it's like, <laughs> okay, now what specifically, what world are you talking about? Because like, before you even bring up the cult, you're talking about the most recent, like, relevant thing historically you've brought up are dirty hippies. So it's like, are you worried about hippies breaking into your house and forcing you to smoke a weed and catch the reefer madness? <laughs> Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. Because there are plenty of historical reasons to be concerned in like 1969-ish, but like you haven't actually brought up anything concerning yet, just hippies. And then it's like, Oh, the Manson family cult. It's like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, all right, all right, all right, all right. Treat Lobbyonka murders, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we're going to get so many tense sewing machine scenes in this movie. So because many tense sewing machine scenes. This movie loves jump scares, and it loves ratcheting up tension in, like, not an interesting or narratively driven way. So we're just going to get a lot of, like, loud sewing machine noises and zoom-ins on her fingers near the needle, because, like... It's that kind of movie. Don't worry. She's going to prick her finger at some point, but there's not going to be anything like f***ed up happening to her hand. I just like, I just want to get that one out of the way. And I just want to get it out of the way, too, that it's the dummiest moment. Unless you're working with like a really heavy dude a machine, the extent to which a sewing machine can f*** up your hands is not, it's not a big deal. It's kind of made as a safety thing. That foot is very close to the bottom of the, like, the machine. You can maybe wedge a finger in there if you really want to, but the worst that's going to happen is that, like, the tip of your finger gets pierced all the way through, which will not kill you or even f*** you up that badly. I used to do that all the time with staplers. <laughs> <laughs> it's like stapling yourself to death. John is studying for exams from med school and they argue a bit because he's like, oh, it could be difficult and challenging to be a new father while also being a resident. And like they quarrel a little about it because she's like, I'm the one having this freaking baby, man. <laughs> but then he apologizes by presenting her with a doll that she's long been looking for. It completes a set, maybe? They're not very clear about it. They say things that imply yeah. that it's like a rare doll. She says explicitly, I've been looking for this for years, and it's the Annabelle doll. It's clearly haunted. And again, like, this is a Raggedy Ann. The only set that it comes with is maybe a Raggedy Andy if you've already got one. <laughs> It's also not hard to lay hands on a raggedy hand. They are so common. You can get them anywhere, Dennis. You get them anywhere. Pretty sure you can get them off Amazon now. Like, I guess she's got these wall to walls. Like, she's got shelves full of dolls. I guess she collects dolls and she loves this obviously haunted, creepy ass doll with a terrible <laughs> face. She's like, I have yearned for this. Thank you. That night. The couple are asleep. We have this shot that I honestly like where we see through their bedroom window into next door, into where their next door neighbors are sleeping, the Higgins. And we have a sudden like one of the neighbors is suddenly stabbed to death. And there's like a scream that wakes Mia up. 
And she's like, hey, John, maybe we should go check that out. And he's like, ugh, fine. Maybe we should call the police. And he's like, I'll just go see if anything's wrong. It's fine. <laughs> like, I would rather us call the police, John. Oh, my God. He's like, ugh, we don't have to call the cops because you think you heard a scream. Ugh. <laughs> Unfortunately, John does not die in this movie. Not even at the end. <laughs> So John goes next door. Mia just kind of wanders around in the dark being heavily pregnant for a while, like you do. (laughs) As you do. Until John emerges from the house covered in someone else's blood and tells Mia to call an ambulance. And (laughs) oh no, John, who could have guessed that something bad was happening? (laughs) So Mia goes to the phone. She actually dials 911 on the rotary, which felt weird. And I was right. Because the rollout of 911 took so many years that, like, I don't think it was in Santa Monica yet. No. It would still be probably a local police number. Yeah, but, I mean, also, you know, you need a visual shorthand for the audience to indicate you're calling the cops or something. I don't know, like, 10, 15 seconds of desperately trying to dial a local number would be hilarious. (laughs) On the rotary! I don't know what they're going for. Yeah. But while she's dialing and talking, you see somebody enter the house from the open door. And just go into the room and pick up the obviously haunted doll and whisper, I like your dolls. (laughs) And then another guy, like, attacks her, stabs her in the side. There's a girl with a doll who grabs the knife and also just starts screaming. And then the police show up and shoot the guy as he's attacking John. And meanwhile, the girl goes and locks herself in the doll room and slits her throat while cradling the Annabelle doll. Yeah. Oh, right. There is a suicide at the beginning, too. Whoopsie do. Oops, I got that one. <laughs> this is what happens with me all the time when I try to content warn stuff. I'll put in like, oh, warning for medical content. And they were like, why did you leave the cannibalism untagged? <laughs> we do this thing where she draws some kind of weird sign on the wall above her. And then she bleeds to death and the blood drips down onto the doll and gets absorbed into her eye. <laughs> And that was Annabelle Higgins. That was Annabelle Higgins, the ghost who lost her parents or some something. Is this working for anyone? Say the movie makers. <laughs> this this movie just constantly looking back while, while turning the like Annabelle dial like a contestant on The Price Is Right. <laughs> We do this quick newscast where they, like, recap the event. The baby is okay. Mia's on bed rest for the rest of her pregnancy. They come home and John finally turns the lock because he's learned a lesson or something. (laughs) (laughs) This is movie just being like, hey, what if the satanic panic was 100% correct? Yeah, actually. Yeah, basically. What if we just completely did not examine the real societal reasons behind the satanic panic and just took it all at face value? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Welcome yes. to the Ed and Lorraine Warren movies. <sighs> they even do a movie down the line where, like, it's about that case that the Warrens tried to do a thing with where, like, a dude claimed that he was possessed by Satan into killing his roommate and his landlord or something. <laughs> They're like, the devil really did make him do it. <laughs> All right, we're going to get, like, some spooky events where, like, oh, the mobile starts turning on its own and the sewing machine starts running on its own. And, like, John just decides to investigate this in the night and just, like, sits his hand extra close to the needle a few times before he turns it off just for funsies, just so we can be like, whoa, the sewing machine. He might prick his finger. (laughs) (laughs) It's so tense. 
And also the doll is somehow moved behind the door instead of the shelf or whatever. So he places it in the rocking chair in the room so it can ominously rock in a creaky rocking chair. A few times. Yeah, don't worry about it. That's enrichment for haunted dolls. <laughs> it, is. it really is. And the next day, you'll never believe it. The TV starts f***ing up while she's sewing and the creaky rocking chair is creaking. Oh, no. Yes. And that night Mia's like, hey, we should definitely get rid of that doll, right? You know, that thing that that woman who broke into my house and almost killed me was holding when she, like, killed herself. We should get rid of that, right? It might have some bad vibes. <laughs> Why would you keep that? <laughs> How is that not evidence that the cops have taken away? <laughs> right? She was literally holding it. Why do they have that doll? The cop's just like carrying the dead body out, looking at the doll she's clutching in her dead arms, being like, we don't need this, and just tossing it aside. <laughs> oh, man. We laugh, but... <laughs> I don't know. I've heard a lot of stories about the cop's effectiveness in, like, serial murders in the 70s. It wasn't great. Or, or today. Especially in California. Oh. Yeah, no, she's like, hey, we should get rid of that doll, right? And John's like, oh, huh. Yeah, I guess so. So he throws it in the garbage. <laughs> and so then the next day, while John's at work, he set some popcorn on the stove the night before to make for her. But then she fell asleep, so he just turned off the stove. And she's working and sewing on her needle. And this is where we finally get the needle prick, everybody. Finally. But as that happens, all the stove's ovens turn on. And we see it start, this popcorn starts smoking. And she just gets up and wanders to the bathroom and washes her hand. And I'm like... I know pregnant ladies. I work in a fucking toy store. Pregnant ladies smell things from 10 miles away. There is no way she doesn't smell popcorn burning when I can smell that from 10 miles away. Popcorn burning is one of the most pungent aromas in our modern society. And she just is like, I can't smell anything. Until the whole kitchen is on fire. Engulfed in flames. <laughs> Dramatically. And she's like, oh, oh no. Whoops. <laughs> And she tries to leave, like, she tries to run out of the house. She trips and falls right on her stomach. Oh, God. Ow. And then, like, almost gets out, but then something makes a growling noise and grabs her by her ankle and pulls her back into the kitchen. But then some neighbors arrive and pull her out, like, immediately. And then we see John running through the hospital, and he arrives just to find that Mia has given birth, and she named their daughter Leah, which doesn't cause any weird... Yeah, good news. No lost.jpg here. Also, like, the mother's name is Mia, and she named her daughter Leah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna be that confusing Excuse for the rest me. of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the subtitles say that she spells her name M-I-A, the baby's name is spelled L-E-A-H. It doesn't help. No, even writing it down, I mix their names up throughout this film. The baby is born, the baby is fine, the baby is healthy, the mother is fine, don't worry. Like, this is the part that is okay. This baby is not going to die. This baby will not die at any point. No. But the movie will f*** with you for the rest of the thing about thinking you're going to think the baby's going to die. It definitely will. But Mia's just like, oh, the house is accursed. I cannot return. <laughs> so he's like, okay. And then we meet their new apartment in Pasadena, which is the biggest apartment. It's huge. It's also full of hallways. Supposedly it's on the sixth floor, and supposedly it's one of, like, 50 apartments in this place, but this looks like a whole floor of an apartment. <laughs> like a, a whole floor of an apartment building. It looks like a penthouse. 
Yeah. They also have a brand new nursery still filled with like a million dolls. I think because we can hear the neighbors argue, we're supposed to think this is a terrible apartment, but it's huge and gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I'm still upset that at no point does John turn to Mia and say this apartment will be a fresh start for all of us? <laughs> it's right there. I mean, if they're going to lean in so hard everywhere else in this movie, they might as well. It's right there. <laughs> also, we see them at mass again. They still go to the same church for mass, but I'm pretty sure the commute between Santa Monica and Pasadena is not exactly friendly, but you know, I don't know shit about Southern California. Well, driving to from anywhere to anywhere in Southern California is hell. Right. Oh, it's only like a half hour drive, but that's Sunday like morning an extra traffic hour for LA. Yeah. yeah. Oh god, it's a half hour drive directly through downtown Los Angeles. Oh. <laughs> oh no. They must really like that church. <laughs> so like Father Perez is back. He's going to be telling us about ominous things again. He's like, "Don't let fear control you. Face your fears." And Later on, when he's talking to Leah and Mia, and he's asking for a photo of the baby, he's like, mothers are closer to God than any other living creature, for only they can share in God's creative miracle. This movie definitely doesn't have an agenda. This is Father Perez. These are most of his lines. He just walks around saying ominous thematic shit. And then later, we are... Unpacking in the nursery, we've still got some boxes. Mia's unpacking piles and piles of creepy dolls, like kind of creepy dolls. They've got some pull string giggles that are totally normal. She knocks the ominous musical mobile just so we know it's there so we can be spooked out by it later. And then she pulls Annabelle out of the box. They threw that doll away. <laughs> You're like, oh, it must have just gotten mixed up with the fire. I'm pretty sure this three-foot doll would have necessitated a garbage bag all by herself rather than just going in the bin. (laughs) Like, to his credit, John comes up and he's like, I 100% threw out that haunted-ass doll. (laughs) We should throw it away again. But Mia is now like, oh no, it's done. Let's keep it now. It's fine. It's definitely fine. Let me just brush its hair. This is fine. Normal. Let me just move aside some of these other dolls to put it on the shelf so that it is pride of place, being three feet tall and blocking out all of the other dolls so it can face the crib. I want it to face the crib. I want my baby to see it all the time. This clearly haunted doll. This will give my child no disorders. I do enjoy that there is half a moment where I don't even think it's on purpose, but John gives the doll this look that is so clearly, this is a bad idea. This is a, no, we should not be doing this, but okay. (laughs) Then we do like these, all these ominous close-ups on the obviously haunted doll. Again, (laughs) this is a raggedy Ann. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're going to be doing a whole bunch of jump scares and shit. Hooray. Yeah. Because Mia spends all of her time in the house by herself in her apartment without her husband because her husband is now like a resident so he is pulling whatever hours we need him to for the movie which you know he's a resident he basically lives at the hospital now there's things where the tv messes up and she thinks she sees someone walking through the house and leaning over the crib but nothing's there okay Here's the part of the movie where it's going to start introducing just a million different spooky things that don't connect to each other, but (laughs) they exist in horror movies, so we're just going to start throwing them at the wall to see what sticks. 
She takes the baby downstairs. She goes past some kids drawing on the stairway. There's a little boy who's drawing pictures. We don't see what they are yet. She chats with the kids. The brother's like, what are you doing? He says to his sister, don't tell her where we live. Don't tell her her name. Are you a fool? And she's like, well, maybe one day we can be friends. And the kid just gives her this amazing side eye. <laughs> Which, like, granted, Stranger Danger wasn't exactly a thing yet. But, like, these kids are not going to get names. We're never going to see them again. We have this whole conversation with them. We establish the hell out of these children, and they do not exist in the rest of the movie. <laughs> Why is this here? Oh, just wait. Oh, boy. She takes the baby in a stroller for a walk. They go down to Old Towny Books, which just so happens to have books about the occult in the window. Yes, of course. And who should walk out but a black woman named Evelyn, who is played by Alfre Woodard, who has been working oh since God. the 80s. And frankly, she's way too good for this movie. <laughs> she is way too good for this film. She's so great. She is the best performance in this film. She came in, looked at the script and said, this is some bullshit, but man, I'll do it. The check's a check. I'm getting paid for it. And that's what matters. She sure is. Speaking of the content warnings, folks, you know how you have in horror movies the magical Negro trope, which is a black person who guides the scared white person through the plot, holds their hand, is far more competent than them, knows all about spiritual shit because they're the black person, and then will probably die in the end. Yeah. Basically do all the emotional labor for the scared white lady. Yeah. In this movie, she's named Evelyn. <laughs> It is shameless, y'all. Incidentally, she's also in Star Trek First Contact as a character named Lily, and Lily rules. She's great. <laughs> she is a great actor. I love her. Alfred Warner is like a genuinely good actress. She is so like head and shoulders above everybody else here, except for the guy playing Father Perez. Like, yep. Ugh. She walks out like, and she's like, oh, hello, scared white lady. Hi, <laughs> I'm your bad horror movie assigned black friend. Yay. Here's a book that my daughter loved. You should give it to Leah. Also, I live above you. Okay, okay, okay. Like, I feel like Evelyn is a character where she is so placed. Like, this character is so conveniently placed for this movie that I thought there was going to be a twist and she was going to be part of the cult and, like, was tricking her the whole time or something. No. <laughs> it's just this convenient that she exists and can help you with all of your problems and knows all these things and you just met her in a bookstore. I mean, to be fair, the horror movie also tries to convince you of that, especially as the horror gets going later. But no. Okay, okay. At least she's not, like, the only black character is also evil. Like, at least they don't do that. But holy yeah. shit, everything else about her. So, like, they get home. Those children that were drawing on the stairs are gone, but she finds the drawings. And it's like a flip book of her and the baby getting hit by a truck. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't even like an evil kid with a sinister new imaginary friend. It's just some random kid, doesn't even have a name, will not appear Lucas. in the rest of this movie. And it's hilarious because these drawings are like the exact same truck getting bigger, but it is the exact same drawing, just like they clicked the corner and dragged it so it got like 120% bigger. Lucas, I'm so sorry for what that laugh did to my levels, but 
Oh, God, that broke me. <laughs> so then we go to John and Mia bickering about whether they should go talk to the kids' parents about this. Mia's like, well, if Leah did something like this, then I would want to know. And John makes a crack about how Leah draws better. <laughs> it's like, oh, let's not overreact. It's not a threat. And it's like... This child literally drew that he hoped you and your baby got hit by a truck. <laughs> like, unless this kid is really hoping that you and your baby get isekai'd by truck coon. <laughs> like, that is an implicit threat for no reason. This is, of course, when we find out that this kid just draws everyone getting hit by trucks. That's just this kid's form of artistic expression. <laughs> you know, he's working through some things. <laughs> John's like, okay, how about we solve this by me coming home early tonight from work and we'll have a nice dinner and quote unquote adult conversation. Smash cut to a dinner alone in a dark kitchen. Hooray. <laughs> like there's a record playing. She takes the needle off, continues to clean up the dishes and finish her dinner alone. But then the record player turns back on. We're doing this shit again. <laughs> Someone's whispering outside her window and there's a wind blast jump scare at the window and a little girl runs past her and the sewing machine turns on again. And then the little girl's in her bedroom and runs towards her and turns into adult human Annabelle with a knife and disappears. <laughs> just all these jump scares that don't do anything. We just basically hang out at the same level of haunted for most of the movie until it escalates at the very end. Meanwhile, John, like she describes all this to John and he's like, oh, these are manifestations of your anxiety. New mother's experience, postpartum depression. I have a medical degree. Maybe we should talk to somebody. And she recoils like mental health care. Mental health <laughs> therapy. What? How dare? And he's like, he's like no, 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 not a therapist. Let's go talk to our priest. Let's go talk to our priest. They talk to Father Perez and he's like, well, let me say some more ominous callback setup words at you about like pendulums and foundations and survival and you two are strong together and united. They will not face the end of this movie together, strong and united. <laughs> and then we meet Evelyn outside who's just like, oh, hi, I also go to your church. <laughs> <laughs> You've just never noticed me before. <laughs> You've just never noticed me before. I also commute to this church. Was this movie also written in the advance, advance, never retreat style? It feels like it. It feels like it, honestly. There should have been an opportunity to before now to establish this woman goes to their church. I feel like the only thing they did to, like go back and take another crack at this draft was to go in and pad out some more jump scares. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what about the other scenes? Should we be like, maybe, I don't know, check to make sure the structure of this movie works? No, f*** it. Should no, we check some for, for like continuity or something maybe? No, nah. jump scare, jump scare. Absolutely f***ing not. More jump scares. If you keep the audience too scared to notice there are any problems with this movie, it'll be fine. So we go home, we do some more spooky sewing, she puts Leah to bed, and I just, this is just such an obviously haunted doll, it dominates the shelf, it's just hanging. Like, we're at this point in this movie now where the doll is just gonna sit on the shelf and not actually do anything for a while, and it's like, I thought this movie was called Annabelle. But instead, Mia is just okay with this doll leering at her baby, the world's most haunted doll, and then is like, okay, now that it's nighttime and it's dark and spooky and there's a thunderstorm 
in Pasadena, instead of basically just barricading the doors and staring at the rain and being awestruck by this event that doesn't happen particularly often, I'm going to go put some cardboard boxes in the basement. (laughs) That basement is flooded. I've been to LA when it rains. There's no drainage. (laughs) No, no, this is a very dry basement. It's a dry, normal basement. This is a dry, normal basement that's haunted. Super duper haunted. It's one of those basement spaces where it's a long, dimly lit hallway and they've got some like fences put up for, you know, all the different residents. They each have their own sort of like storage space in there with a padlock and what have you. And she's going to put some folded up cardboard boxes in there. Being me, if somebody told me there was a place called Murder Alley, I would walk down it. I would not (laughs) enter this basement after dark. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for tetanus reasons, if nothing else. Yeah. It is a spooky ass basement. It's a spooky ass basement and they've got like the light flashing in from the windows up near the ceiling. If I were a PTSD ridden lady who's anxious about everything and who has anxious eyebrows constantly, I would not be going there. Who literally had a home invasion at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I would not be going down there. What is she trying to prove? She goes down the hallway, she hears some crying baby sounds, and a baby carriage rolls out on its own down the hallway, and a baby cries. And she goes, Leah? She approaches it, obviously, and like, there's a point where the subtitles are literally saying crying intensifies, and I'm very happy about that. (laughs) And she reaches the carriage, and there's a bunch of bloody rags, and then a scary hand grabs her, and she runs. Okay. This is where we see... Another incongruent piece of spook em up movies. There's a demon in this movie. Oh my god. Like a big Halloween devil. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I forgot. He is only credited as demonic figure. Okay. He's only in two scenes. Yep. Maybe three. This one and then like in 10 minutes. And he is played by the composer. What? Yeah. It's the composer of this movie, the composer of the Insidious movies, the Sinister movies, the Conjuring movies. He's responsible for those big dramatic, like, violent stings. So if he plays the demon in this, does he also play Darth Maul in the fucking Insidious movies? (laughs) I don't think so, unfortunately. I think that's an actual actor. Damn. My question is, was he intended to be like the devil from the start? Well, they were like, let's put a devil in the movie and let's have it be the composer. Or was it like a 13th warrior situation where he was just the largest available man on set? I feel like he was just (laughs) the largest available man on set. Like they put him in this, like he's dimly lit most of the time. But I'm pretty sure he's got, like, blue body paint on and, like, he's got just two horns. He's just, just a devil. They didn't even bother putting him in cloven hooves or anything. He's just a <laughs> devil guy. Yeah, he's just basically a guy in a, in a spandex suit. If you and- search on a stock photo website, devil guy, that's him. That's him. Yeah. Like, this guy could come out to fight Santa Claus in Mexico <laughs> and keep Lupita from getting a doll and, like, you would not bat an eye. This dude is just hanging out, just standing at the end of the hallway, and she runs away, and she's very scared. There's a problem with, like, the elevator actually leaving the basement thing, and we do this beat three times before she finally decides to try the stairs of, like, hitting the closed door button. And there's a beat, and then the elevator door opens, and it's still the fucking basement. So she hits the closed door button, and there's a beat. And we open the door and it's still the basement. We do this like three or four times. (laughs) 
we don't even have like the devil guy getting close or something. There's no threat. It's just a broken elevator. Yep. There's so many things in this movie that are supposed to be creepy that are just annoying. Yes. <laughs> and she runs up the stairs and the lightning flashes and there's a lot of style and zero substance. At some point, she hears the echo of a baby crying and she looks down and the devil guy is just like hanging out on the stairs. Looking yeah. up. He's like, hey, what's up? Sup? He's got pizza. <laughs> she also shouts, Leah, a bunch of times during this. Yeah, because I guess she hears any baby crying and she assumes it is her baby crying. She gets back to the apartment. She's totally fine. She does have an ominous mark scratched into her arm that she will later realize is the same mark that was like on the wall above Annabelle, the person in her house when she died. That's not really going to go anywhere. You'll never come up again. She meets with the detective from the case. She's like, why did the cult do this? And he was like, eh, satanic cult stuff. They were trying to conjure something up <laughs> like like the movie the the con the con the, con con the, the, the conjuring the movie you hey, said it <laughs> and he's like let me give you the name of this cult it is the disciples of the ram the demon guy if you're wondering did not have ran horns <laughs> so for <fuck's> sake <laughs> Makeup department, you had one job. <laughs> you had one job. He does not have ram horns. They're just like the two little points out of his forehead. They're, no. Also, I feel like if you're going to start a satanic cult, I, you can go harder with the name than Disciples of the Ram. It literally just sounds like a bad knockoff version of Cult of the Lamb. It does. So I guess this technically came before Cult of the Lamb. Oh, it did. But it sounds like a lazy knockoff of it. It does. It does. Anyway, we've now entered the phase of the movie where the scared white lady needs to do research. Oh god, more <laughs> scared white lady research. <laughs> so she goes to the bookstore, she pops out the occult section, she pulls out a book about demons that is shelved next to a book about the Dead Sea Scrolls. No, wait, go back. Check that other one. Not for the devil thing, just for the purpose of like having that information. Why is there a book about the Dead Sea Scrolls in, like, the occult section? Like, where do you usually shelve your Jewish religious history books, man? <laughs> what the f*** kind of Dewey Decimal System do they have set up in here? <laughs> Evelyn is also here because I guess she works here or maybe owns the bookshop or something. And she's like, what the hell are you doing in this section? And Mia eventually is like, I think my family is being haunted by a ghost. And Evelyn looks at her, blinks and says, L4, follow me. <laughs> okay, that is actually genuinely good. Evelyn is so great, actually. <laughs> this character deserves so much more. Evelyn gets her some books, they go back to her apartment, and she's like, it's not a ghost, ghosts haunt places, this followed you, it's a demon. And the rules that they have here are like, demons want a soul, and they won't stop until they get one. And Mia's like, what, what, what do I do? What do I do? And Evelyn's like, try reading one of the multiple books I have procured for you. <laughs> that will be $120. <laughs> In the process, Mia also notices that Evelyn has this big ominous scar on her wrist that runs vertically downward. This is our self-harm suicide attempt conversation here. Basically, we find out that because of Evelyn's trope, she immediately decides to just tell her her painful past. So <laughs> we course. have it for the audience. 
Yeah, Evelyn does not have any kind of interiority or personal desires of her own. She is an information repository. So right. Evelyn's painful past is that she had a daughter and then she'd gone to visit her family with her daughter. And on the way home, it was very late. She hadn't slept. She was tired. She fell asleep on the road and she woke up three weeks later and her daughter was dead. And as you might expect, she was very depressed about that. And she did attempt to kill herself, but said that she heard Ruby's voice telling her, no, it's not her time, that God has another purpose for her. Okay. Uh-oh. It's to help the white lady. Uh-oh. It's to help the white lady. Uh-oh. Fuck this part of the movie, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I would just skip this over entirely if this wasn't deeply plot relevant, and I regret to inform you that it is. It is a very bad movie. It's very plot relevant. This is the worst thing in this movie. In this movie about a goofy-ass haunted doll that it pulls this. (sighs) So, you remember that truck drawing? (laughs) Later on, Mia walks home. The camera is purposefully being vague about where exactly the baby is because she has the baby carrier. I'm telling you right now, she has the baby in a chest carrier. The baby is fine. (laughs) (laughs) But she hears someone whisper her name and looks over and sees Annabelle in the window holding a baby, like Annabelle the person. And then she turns around and her baby carriage then gets wham hit by a truck. (laughs) And only then does the camera tell us very clearly that she has the baby in a chest carrier. But it definitely for a second is like, did the baby just get hit by a truck in this movie about a haunted doll? (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Where is the haunted doll? And the thing about like people getting hit by trucks in movies. Here's the thing about it happening in movies. It's always at least a little bit funny. (laughs) Just in the way that it's always framed. Something coming in suddenly from out of frame is always funny. (laughs) And whenever a truck is involved, it's always a semi-truck going like 60 miles an hour down like a residential street for no reason. And you don't hear it coming at all somehow. Yeah. And then but as it's coming in, you hear the horn. Yeah. Always. Every single time. Every single time. Like, her stroller basically just explodes. But no, the baby is fine. The baby was not in the stroller. So instead, it's time for her to go do some more scared white lady research now that she actually has these books. Yep. And she reads up on demons wanting to spill innocent blood. And like, that's the thing. She's always like, they want innocent blood. And she keeps looking at her baby who's hanging out on like a blanket like, my baby is full of innocent blood. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) She's a little innocent blood bag. (laughs) My baby's a whole little sack of innocent blood. Oh, my God. And then she also sees the triangle mark in the book that was on her arm and was above Annabelle. And that's the last time we're ever going to do anything with that mark. We never get any explanation for it or what it's supposed to mean that she's been marked or something or why Annabelle drew that in the first place. And I don't know. Anyway, the rocking chair in the nursery starts creaking again for haunted doll enrichment. (laughs) Haunted doll enrichment. The mobile starts doing its little... Like trying to make you very scared by this nursery song going very, very slow. She wanders around in the room. She gets shut in. The doors lock. She looks underneath the door that leads back to the room where her baby is. And the baby, who has, by the way, been placed directly in front of a bookshelf that has not been secured to the wall. Oh, God. <laughs> Did they baby-proof this apartment at all? No. 
They didn't demon proof it. They didn't baby proof it. They didn't do nothing. We endanger the child for a while by having books fall all around this baby hanging out on a blanket until like at some point she tries to get in and then like the Annabelle doll falls in front of her, breaking her line of sight. And then she like (laughs) breaks down the door picks up the baby, but then turns around and Annabelle's standing behind her and then it starts floating up on its own into the room. Oh, the God. doll's finally back. <laughs> but then we zoom in and the doll's not floating on her own. The head's being held by the blue devil guy who's here now. <laughs> who's just sort of waving it in front of his face. Oh, God. He doesn't say anything. This is the last scene he's in in the movie. And then John finally comes home, and the devil's gone. I thought he was working night shifts. Why is he here in the middle of the day? Anyway. He got got held over by first shift, not showing up in time. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. And they're like, oh, well, maybe some haunted shit is happening with this clearly haunted doll. Let's go talk to the priest again. So Father Perez comes by. He makes a house call. He takes one look at the doll, and he's like, oh, this doll is wicked haunted. (laughs) This doll's wicked haunted. I'll take it with me. I know some people called the Warrens who can take care of this. Oh, they're like, oh, I know some incredibly special people. The (laughs) Warrens who are so great and real. (laughs) Definitely not hucksters. (laughs) They're definitely not hucksters. He's also like, but the doll isn't actually haunted. Demons just use dolls for stuff sometimes. I don't know. Hey, K-Man. It's not a ghost. It's a demon. It's a haunted doll. Come on. (laughs) Don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. And he's like, oh, you know, here, let me tell you some more ominous things that you need to know about this movie. Souls have to be offered to demons before they can take them. And John's like, well, I don't plan on offering my soul anytime soon. And Father Perez is like, demons lie to get what they want, idiot. (laughs) (laughs) So he just takes the doll. He sits it in the front seat of his car. And there's this moment where he, like, looks at how he has arranged this doll and then tosses the doll in the back seat. (laughs) Okay, so John's like, well, okay, you should probably get to sleep. I should probably try to parent for a little while. (laughs) I should probably, like, stay up with the baby and and engage with this child that I made. (laughs) Let me babysit, am I right? And so, like, we have this thing where, to their credit, like, Mio's like, thank you for finally listening to me and calling Father Perez. And he's like, yes, Father Perez will definitely help us. (laughs) Cut to Father Perez with a haunted radio in his car. And he looks at the doll, he pulls over at the church, he gets out, he walks into the church, and then promptly gets flung backward by the demon. (laughs) Like... How does the demon stop him from entering the church? The demon, like, literally pushed him back from within the threshold of the church. Yeah. That's not even how this kind of movie usually works. Nope. And Annabelle disappears from the scene because dead Annabelle's ghost or whatever picks up the doll Annabelle and walks away with it. And he's just sitting in a pile of blood. I should probably not say pile of blood. I'm pretty sure it's a puddle. Pile. No, pile is fine. <laughs> pile I works. like the image that pile creates. Father Perez is taken to the hospital. He is shockingly not dead. John goes to hang out with him while he's at the hospital. Meanwhile, Evelyn takes Mia shopping. They hang out for a while at the apartment. Father Perez wakes up and he's instantly like, hey, where's the doll? It's evil. It wants Mia's soul. And then John is like, oh, no. (laughs) 
He tries to call home, but there's just static on the line. And then, like, back home, Mia hears pounding on the door and, like, walks over, looks through the peephole. And you, th- you think we'd maybe be doing a thing like Juan. like Juan or the Grudge here, where she looks through and then there's nobody on the other side, but now the demon's in the house? No, actually. She looks no, through the just... people. She sees Father Perez facing away from the door. So she opens the door and says, hi, Father Perez. And he's there. And you focus on his face and it's bloodshot and he says some ominous shit. He just yells, may God have mercy on your soul. And then the door <laughs> slams. Yeah, that's how most priests coming to my house goes. The weird thing is that he never even, like, faces her, so he's got all this spooky makeup on. We see it from over the shoulder, but she never sees it, so what's the point here? Yeah, why do the spooky face? Don't know. Anyway, all of the things that we have been telegraphing as ominous haunted things, like turning on the radio or turning on the record player or staticking the TV or moving the mobile or doing the sewing machine, that all starts happening at the same time. Evelyn is like... We should leave the apartment now. We should go to the church. And then they hear Evelyn's apartment making noises. (laughs) As if Evelyn is the demon and something. Evelyn's like, we need to go right now. But Mia, who does not have eyes on the baby, is like, I cannot leave without my baby, which legit. But then like the blue devil guy jumps down from the ceiling, knocks Evelyn out and locks her out of the apartment. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) Oh, that's right. I forgot. The Blue Devil guy comes back for this. So, the, Just the lack of subtlety. <laughs> yeah. How do we get Evelyn out of this scene? The devil shows up and shoves her out of the apartment. This is Garth Marenghi levels of the subtext is for cowards. It's true. Yeah, this is, this is like straight up and then a hell beast ate them level <laughs> pros. <laughs> And like, like the devil guy chases her or growls or something like I feel like at this point, the devil guy is just kind of growling and we hear a bunch of growling noises, but he isn't really present throughout like the major conflict here. I feel like he just popped in to push her out and left. (laughs) And she like chases the sound of her baby crying throughout the apartment until she gets into the nursery and like... Annabelle is sitting in a chair somewhere else in the apartment and she goes in the nursery and there's a red crayon that rolls on the floor and it turns out the demon ghost something wrote the words her soul all over the ceiling. (laughs) And now Annabelle's in the crib instead of the baby. So Mia screams. The baby is fine. The baby is fine. We have to reiterate this. (laughs) But she picks up the Annabelle doll and starts shaking it to demand to know where her baby is. And then starts slamming it against the crib and then throws it. And then there's the fake out of the Annabelle doll becoming the baby. And she picks up the the baby and she's like, oh my god, I've killed my baby. And then it turns out it's a different doll. Oh, for God's sake. Why not just have it turn back into the Annabelle doll? I don't know. Again, the baby is fine. She did not kill her baby. The baby's fine. The baby is not in this scene, in fact. Yeah. And then she gets locked in the nursery again. And then she looks up and she's like, oh, my God, it wants my baby's soul. There has to be another way to get out of this. And then she looks over to the window where somebody has written in crayons, your soul. And the window opens invitingly. (laughs) Then we smash cut to Evelyn and John breaking into the door. And they rush into the nursery where we find Mia holding the Annabelle doll standing on the window ledge. 
She's like, the devil definitely is telling the truth to me. The demons are definitely just being straight with me. Yeah, this de- demons are fine. Demons don't lie. <laughs> demons don't lie? This is definitely the only way. I'll jump out the window and I have to take the doll with me? And they're like, don't do this, honey. This is stupid. And she's like, no, no. I'm pretty sure I need to play along with the demon's game in order to defeat it. Pretty sure that's how this works. I'm pretty sure. Until finally John yanks her back from the ledge. And he's like, no, this is stupid, actually. And she's like, you promised me you'd sacrifice me to save our baby! Oh, God. Yeah. And meanwhile... (sighs) Okay, folks, this is going to suck a lot, actually. Yeah. Evelyn gets this look in her eye, stands up, and says, a daughter needs her mother. Oh, God. And then she picks up the doll, goes up to the ledge holds up the locket and says, there is another way. This is what my daughter Ruby meant. Oh, for God's sake. When she said God had another purpose for me. (laughs) This movie sucks. (sighs) And she goes out the window. this. This part. This movie. (laughs) The part of this movie, actually. This part of the movie. This sucks so bad. (laughs) And it works! (laughs) Why does it work? (laughs) It's stupid that this (laughs) works. These kinds of movies, the whole point is usually do not play the devil's game. Do not do this. Do not let the devil dictate the rules of the game. You change the rules on him or whatever. You don't just do what the devil says and then you win. (laughs) Thanks for playing. (laughs) Also, in like... All these people go to f***ing church all the time. In what universe would God be like, yeah, give your soul to the devil. It's cool. Yeah. 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 That's why I saved you. You can't die here. You have to die to save some rando white lady who should definitely live. (laughs) This sucks. Yeah, it sucks. This sucks so bad. And then the doll is just gone. We look down and the doll is gone. As the white (laughs) couple coo over their baby and don't mourn Evelyn. Nope. They just coo over their baby and forget that someone just died. And we cut to church where Father Perez is talking about how great sacrifices are again. That sucks. Where is this haunted doll? Why is this haunted doll been gone for half the movie? And why does it not look like a Raggedy Ann? I hate this. (laughs) Six months later... We do this thing that is like, it it definitely seems like another one of those epilogues that was done in post because like part of it is a lot of like voiceovers over an exterior shot of the church where me and John are like, you are looking well, Father Perez, who is definitely alive and fine and recovered. Gosh, no, we haven't seen Annabelle the doll since that night. And the detective has no record of the doll existing. And then we cut to Father Perez, who is like, evil is constant. I just pray that whomever comes into contact with the doll necks gets the help they need from the Warrens, who are definitely good and true and not (laughs) hucksters. Did the Warrens put money into this? (laughs) Yes. Yes, actually. Oh, God. Yes, Lorraine Warren had some very, very, very strict contracts and clauses about how the Warrens could be portrayed in the film. Oh my god. One of which also stipulated that the couple never practices infidelity and they are always shown to love each other. Hmm. Which is interestingly specific. <laughs> mm. 
And Father Perez hands them the picture of Mia and Leah that he took earlier in the movie. And he's like, the loveliest masterpiece of the heart of God is the love of a mother. (laughs) But specifically, the white ones. (laughs) Avalon doesn't count. That sucks. This movie. We then fade back to a toy shop where a woman walks in and she's like, I need a present for my daughter who is a nursing student. Oh, look oh, at this doll. We looked everywhere for one of these. It is a collector's item somehow, even though it is a Raggedy Ann doll. I'll take it. <laughs> also, it's weird that I'm buying a Raggedy Ann doll for my 28 year old daughter. <laughs> The mobile tune plays, and now we have this picture of Annabelle in the box. And they're like, Annabelle now sits in a glass case inside the artifact room of Ed and Lorraine Warren, and it is blessed (laughs) by a priest twice a month. (laughs) And we come back to the museum at the Warrens with the doll in the box, and they're like, the threat of evil is ever present. We can contain it as long as we can stay vigilant, but it can never be truly destroyed. Quote from Lorraine Warren, which works really well for me because then we can keep containing the evil and making a buck off of it. It's definitely fine. And that's Annabelle. That was supposed to be the origins of their haunted doll movie. And then they were like, wait a minute, that was stupid and convoluted. Let's just make a different haunted doll movie instead. And then they were like, well, that second haunted doll movie worked out pretty well. What if we made a third haunted doll movie that was about a doll murdering a bunch of teens? Wait, that's just Chucky. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) And also, maybe the nun is there? I don't know. Mac, did you ever see the third Annabelle movie? I didn't yet. Oh. I kind of want to now, though. You definitely should. The whole set piece is like, oh my god, my mom and dad are out of town, and I'm hosting a teen party in my parents' haunted museum. Perfect. Yeah. Incidentally, the Chucky TV series, in terms of tone, has a character finding out he has cancer and then immediately cuts to Chucky having lesbian sex with his wife, who's Jennifer Tilly. So (laughs) I feel like I would rather be watching that than this. (laughs) Honestly, all you really need to do is say that imagine Chucky with that Chucky voice saying the word gender fluid. And that's something that happens in the television show. That is also something that happens in the television show. Yeah. You know, I have a queer kid. You have a kid. Gender fluid. And you're you're cool with it. I'm not a monster, Jake. It's Buck Wild. It rules. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's Annabelle. Oh boy. The world's most haunted ass looking doll. <laughs> <laughs> that everybody thinks is fine for some reason. It's just a collector's item. Don't worry about it. Yeah, a collector's item. One of a set? question mark nobody even like that's the thing every like they're all we have multiple people being like oh it's a collector's item i've been looking for this forever but they never even attempt to make up any kind of like lore about like the set of dolls that annabelle is supposed to be from they're just like oh it's part of a set what set (laughs) they couldn't even get like a doll enthusiast to come on and make up some shit about like the sculpt or the maker or something because it's a raggedy ann So I hope I, I, I hope I hope everyone has enjoyed this. This is this is the October episode. <laughs> 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 uh, 
honestly, though, I hate everything about Evelyn, but I still really enjoy this movie for all of, like, the random jump scares and spook em ups that it pads out the script with. Just random devil guy. Just appearing. Random devil guy? Random devil guy. There's just a devil who shows up sometimes. I always f***ing love random devil guys. <laughs> oh, oh, the one in Insidious, though. Oh, he's so good. Just when he leans around unbelieving dad. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I love him. No notes. <laughs> oh, this balding clown Darth Maul. So good. I also don't forget punk rocker dad. Love that punk rocker guy. Uh, and the tiny Tim dude. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, maybe we should go watch Insidious. Maybe we should. <laughs> this movie sure does make me think of other more entertaining movies. Not better. Just more entertaining. Yeah. Oh, so that's my haunted doll movie spiel. I guess it's time for our final facts now. <laughs> Kit, what's your final fact? Oh, God. The best horror movies are based on uh, visceral and deep-seated fears, not fears like what if doll creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what if doll creepy, though? <laughs> I don't think you can hang a whole feature on what if doll creepy. Otherwise, you end up with this. <laughs> Mac, what's your final fact? I've got kind of two here. Mine's bouncing off of Kit, sort of, in that Freud was wrong about a bunch of shit, but Unheimlich <laughs> is legit. Because oh, there's yeah. always something about taking something that should be friendly or should be cute, and then just twisting it just slightly and making it have that wrong thing. It's why horror movies do work whenever they don't show their monster forever, because it's what's mm -hmm. in your head and what's just slightly wrong that doesn't. And this leads to the fact that the most haunted doll that I ever owned in my whole life was a fucking teddy bear in some pajamas that sang the song Dream with me, dream with me Oh no to sleep. <laughs> Oh no It's a magical time Dream with me and sleep Oh no And I tried to throw it outside and then my mom assumed that it was a mistake and brought it back to my room but it was oh, that no. moment where oh no I threw it out and it came back <laughs> <laughs> Annie, what's your, what's your final effect? Retire the magical Negro trope. What's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> if you're making a movie with that trope in the year of our Lord 2014, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? <sighs> also, Alfred Woodard is just lover. <sighs> okay, that is going to do it for us for Haunted Doll episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's our edition of Haunted Doll Watch. <laughs> we watched a whole movie about a haunted doll. <laughs> Join us next time when it's going to be Kit's pick. Well, let's keep the Spookum train rolling and also the Antonio Banderas train rolling with an interview with the vampire. Dope. Join us in November, maybe. I think it'll be our, yeah, it'll be a November episode. Join us for that when we do some vampires. I'm very excited about that one. In the meantime, I Will Fight You comes out every five weeks. You can find it wherever you download podcasts. It is edited by Lucas Brown of The Math of You. If you would like to support us with likes, reviews, subscribes, whatever, do that thing, please. <laughs> you can support us with dollars at patreon.com slash the gem jam for as little as a dollar a month. You can get early releases of I Will Fight You. You can also get show notes at our $5 tier. You can also get other stuff there for our other shows, which you can find out about at our website, crookedrussiancam.horse or crookedrussiancam.gay for our other shows like Gem Jammer and Date Me Damn It. If you would like to find us on the socials, just look up Crooked Russian Cam or CRC Podcasts. You'll find us at one of those. 
I'm just hedging my bets here as to what exactly <laughs> the state of the social media sphere is going to be like by the time this episode airs. It's fine. We will see you next time for Interview with a Vampire. Until then, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And we have fought you. <laughs>